Hey, this is Dag, and you're listening to Beyond Trek Podcast. Red alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Beyond Trek Podcast. Prodigy is officially on hiatus, but Star Trek Discovery is back. In the room, I've got Big J and Renzo. We're going to tell you all about Episode 8, All In. Before we get into it, I just want to tell you guys, happy Valentine's Day. Aww. You're wearing happy an upside Valentine's down. Too, Big J. We're wearing upside down <laughs> hearts on our shirts. Oh, we are. Just Look at it. Smoking us with an actual heart. Yes. To if you're listening to this, we know Valentine's Day was yesterday, but we recorded it today. So, whose idea was that? Uh, I think it was a group effort. And yeah. then we all forgot it was Valentine's it was Day. Like collective. <laughs> Yeah, it's not like we have anything better to do. I mean, this weekend I spent it on a battleship. Don't sue me. <laughs> I'm going to eat a pint of ice cream and just cry myself to sleep. Isn't there a song about that in the 80s? Probably. Yeah. Love Sounds songs right. by battleship. I don't know. So this episode takes off in like a huff. Like it just doesn't waste any time. Immediately we've got Admiral Vance ranting about how like we need to send every ship after Booker there is. Send every shuttle. I don't care if it's an Eisenberg class. Send everything we've got after them. Find them, essentially. Yep. It's, it's a good that we get a nice little confirmation that the USS Nog is Eisenberg class. It's a good canonization of that information that we have from before. Um, but Vance is seeming kind of ranty at this point to the poor junior officer that's taking his, his orders at this point. He's pissed, and Absolutely. he has every right to be. They they just lost a super classified piece of technology. They're in the middle of these extreme negotiations. It's hours after we just convinced the entire Federation and allies and neutral parties to help us make contact with the uh, the DC, is it DC-10? 10C. 10C. Um, I'm thinking about difficulty. <laughs> well, the other thing that's neat is that the only way that uh, uh, Tarka was even able to get the spore drive prototype out of the building was by using two-factor authentication. He used his own, one, and then he used Vance's somehow, which is not a good look. No. That's just to show you that even in the future, there's a way around two-factor authentication. Yeah, I Shouldn't mean, be. Tarka, Tarka's presented as a genius, so he must have been able to figure out what was the password or whatever that Vance used. Yeah. Or, well, sure. or Vance actually helped him, and and he's just playing. I don't want to fall for the bad rule trope on this one. Yeah, I hope we can uh, stay away from the bad rule. But, but it's not a bad rule. It's a well-rounded rule. Um, okay. Yeah, I, just, no? I hope. Okay. What you're saying makes sense. I sure, mean, it might be plausible. I just hope they don't go that way. I mean, by the time we get to the end of this episode, we're, I, I hate to retread it, but we're already repeating something we've done in Star Trek before. By the time we get to the end and discover, you know, what they think the anomaly really is. But we'll get there when we get there. Okay. Mm-hmm. Cool. So Rillick shows up, President Rillick shows up, and uh, is not particularly happy mm-hmm. at anything. Uh, calls for Vance and Burnham to go into like a little meeting with her and uh she dresses down vance by going professional relationship and he manipulated you and then dresses down burnham by going personal relationship and you didn't see this coming what the hell guys and i am absolutely on relic with this one like you should be able to expect you should you should know your partners or your friends well enough to expect something like this happening Mm -hmm. like no hints nothing but should you though i I mean when you 
I don't know. It's I'm of the mind that sure you probably could, but honestly, there's I wouldn't say that I everyone I know I would know well enough to be able to predict things that they do. Yeah, but Booker and Burnham have been an item for years at this point from their perspective. Right. They have done many a crime together. They've done many a good deed together too. But for Booker to just be like, I'm going to commit high treason. Fuck it. That takes an extra step from someone, I think. I, I really feel like I feel like Burnham should have expected more along these lines, especially with how obstinate about the whole thing Booker was the previous episode. Or maybe she thought that he would do something, just not that. That's the high treason bit. Yeah. I mean, we just did convince, again, the Federation, its allies, and neutral parties to help with this endeavor, and maybe they naively were just like, yeah, everyone's on board with this, and at least two people were not. But maybe there's more. It would make sense if there were more people who were adamantly opposed to this. Oh, yeah, I mean, they were very adamantly opposed. Like, I wasn't sure that the vote was going to go Burnham's way during the previous episode, so it was... was down to the down to the letter is what it looked like mm-hmm. but yeah so uh they get this presentation that relic needs them to find this um they realize that if they're going to make an isolytic weapon which is what tarka's plan is they need isolinium something new to the franchise but it makes sense if you're making an isolytic weapon you need something specific to catalyze it cool down with it uh and relic reports that intelligence sources say that there was only four actual places to obtain it I presume the Sona are one of those, but the rest we don't know. If they're still even around. If they're still even around, that's fair. They They might have extincted themselves. Right, or if they haven't had all sources of it taken from them. Mm -hmm. Well, the Sona probably died out just because of their issues with not being on the Baku homeworld. Many of them integrated and the rest of them died. That's my guess. Well, well, wasn't there a a side effect of that was reproductive issues? Or am I making that up? I don't remember Persona. that. Okay. Hmm. I don't know. Maybe some of them reintegrated back into Baku society, but the rest like stuck around controlling some little area of space near the Briar Patch. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, th- I think Dag's right. I've got a feeling that they extincted themselves. So we're Anyways. on the hunt for Isolinium. Yep, which is a neat little new element or new that triggers isolated weapons so can cool I, there can i comment on how cool it was to have a dynamic window going on the ships are mustering and moving around and you know definitely action is happening oh but yeah you're right you're right that was nice well, i think it's going to be one of those it's all hands on deck kind of thing but how do they even hope to be able to track to track that ship which will come up later but it's got a spore drive you don't know where it's going. You don't know where it's going, but you know that there's, or they think they know that there's only four sources of this thing. So if you go right. to the four places, it must go to one of those four, hypothetically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's part of what comes up in this conversation between Rillick, Vance, and Burnham. Uh, Vance is saying, we'll track them down, we'll get to them. Burnham volunteers to be like, I want to be there. I want to be involved in this. I will catch him. I know him better than anybody else. And uh, Rillick goes, nope you're not involved in this you're too close to this which is very true right but being that this is a show with michael burnham as the main character michael's gonna find a way to make it happen anyways 
Um, As she and does. Some, absolutely. And we see more of that later in the episode, too. Uh, but she gets direct orders from both Rillick and then Vance telling her, your job is just to go gather information on unknown species 10C, right? Don't go chasing Booker. You're too close to this. Well, and I think that was a good call, honestly, because he, he's already slipped out from under her without her anticipating what would happen. And if she's on the investigation trying to find him, now I think she's compromised. Maybe she won't go so hard to find him, or if she does, they're worried that she may get talked into letting him go on this this mission he has. So I, I thought that was a good call to keep her, put her on a side quest, going on I mean, the side and quest. And it is the main quest really, right? Like the main quest yeah. is end the threat of species 10C's DMA, right? So gathering information on 10C is the main quest. Stopping Tarka and, and Booker from doing whatever nonsense they're up to, that sounds more like the side quest to me, but they're both very really? important. Yeah. Right, yeah. Anyways, so we cut back to Booker's ship. He's flying through the husk like this blown up planet, which is pretty neat. They're avoiding Starfleet sensors. Cool, all that makes sense. Uh, Tarka then presents the problem to Booker that, well, we need to go buy some isolinium. And Booker's like, well, that's not easy shit to find, uh, but I know a guy who might be able to get it for us. Uh, now that the they old, are I all, know a guy. Yeah. I mean, they all have wanted posters and they show them off in the scene, which is nice. Um, but Tarka kind of cajoles Booker into finding this by doing this whole thing about, I thought couriers could find anything. Uh, so it's showing that Tarka is still manipulating Booker. Like there's, there's no mystery there. Tarka definitely is in charge of this little expedition. And he knows what buttons to press. Yep. Because now he said it to to book like that. Now it's become a challenge. It's like I, I dare you to be able to track this stuff down. I don't think you can do it. Yep, I, I thought it was interesting though that Booker didn't realize that Tarka didn't have the isolinium already, right? Because that's obviously going to be a controlled substance. It's not going to be something mm -hmm. that everybody just has lying around. And Tarka managed to steal the spore drive. Is he also going to be able to get access to like the isolinium to steal that too? There, there are steps well, there that are he, problematic. He, right. He did, he did give Book the impression that he had it, and and was ready to go. But then when they did their escape, well, I don't actually have it. I know a guy who does. Yeah. Which uh, I had to laugh uh, laugh at that because that whole setup kind of reminded me of, and I'm really doing my best not to stray too far, but Revenge of the Sith. Palpatine goes from, I know how to help you save someone's life, finally gets Anakin to turn to the dark side, and then says, well, I don't actually know how to do this thing, but here's where we where we get it. It's just like this complete, uh, it's not in, uh, information not completely given evil, and on the level. The evil plan requires baby steps. That's, right. That's gonna be the name of this episode baby steps the, the evil plan requires baby steps. you get you get you get the semi-good guy to buy in to one aspect of the plan with a sob mm -hmm. story i want to go see my boyfriend in another galaxy i need to use the power from the dmc to do the stuff and oh we're going to use this thing to do it okay cool got it let's go oh 
is another part of the story. Maybe the isolinium. Okay. How many other steps do we need to go to get to where we want to be? Well, that's mm -hmm. like when you ask a friend of yours, what are you doing this Friday? Nothing. Can you help me move? And then you get there and the guy doesn't even have anything packed in boxes. You misunderstand. I'm doing nothing on Friday. Right. You misheard me. <laughs> <laughs> nothing. Yeah. No, that makes sense. But yeah, so scene ends with uh, Booker saying he knows the guy who can sell it to them, but it's not going to be cheap. And Tark is like, oh, don't worry. Cost won't be an issue, which really makes me wonder where's Tarka getting his money from? Right, like the whole rest of the episode, he's like, I can get more funds, I have access to more funds, but he's just a scientist who is under the thumb of the Emerald Chain for a while. Why is he suddenly so very wealthy? Like, does he have like some financial benefactor, some shadowy force, some some of those states that uh, decided to back him in the vote uh, that are now funding him on his plan, or is he really just this is his money and he's spending it? That's it's a really Bitcoin. cool question. It's Bitcoin. He's got cryptocurrency. I hope, I hope not. <clears throat> he bought an F NFT like a thousand years ago. <laughs> All right, so now we cut back to Discovery. Burnham is in her ready room, and we this is the scene that we alluded to a second ago, where Vance tells uh, book or sorry tells Burnham how he met Ruan Tarka, and like it was from a lecture ten years ago, blah blah blah, talking about new propulsion systems and. He fell hook, line, and sinker for what Tarko was selling, and he still believes him, which takes takes some trust. Like they'd known each other for a while. That's a lot of that's a lot of history that they've worked on. Uh, and then Vance gives Burnham orders: you can catch him, try and catch him, but don't violate the orders that you were given before. Find a way to do both. Interesting scenario. Okay. I've got beef. Surprise. Got beef. Is it season it's pretty beef? early on, too. Yeah. So, Starfleet has always been the military and exploration arm of the Federation. Other member worlds of the Federation have their own thing. It's just that the, the bulk of resources, knowledge, et cetera, et cetera, was devoted to Starfleet because humans just, for whatever reason, had that knack for starships. So instead of each of these governments having their own separate thing, it's kind of, it's, I think, kind of like NATO, uh, NATO. Instead of your own separate individual militaries, you focus it on one that could represent all of you. That's now, not way, like NATO at all, though. It's not? No. Well... NATO is... 27, 27 countries that each have their own individual militaries. There is no shared response force of any kind. Oh, well, how did I? That, but I don't think that's at all how the Federation works. So, yeah. Well, Anyways, the... finish your beef though. Then I'll. Yeah. Then I'll... So my yeah. my beef is that why is the why is the president of the Federation the one giving the orders for a military operation? Because she's the commander in chief. Well, but if we're to use an example from Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, the, uh, well, the, the CIC, 
the commander in chief was a Starfleet officer. So, so the president one, was the president. I'm going to address that. So Star Trek has gone back and forth in the continuity about president, commander in chief. But yeah. we do know for a fact that every president that we have seen, whether it's the unnamed one from Star Trek VI, Jara Shinyo, or uh, Relak, um, has been involved in military decision-making. Jara Shinyo, for instance, was opposed to the martial law that Admiral... Uh, Layton. L, yeah. yeah, Admiral Layton. That Admiral Layton was laying down to him. The unnamed Adosian from... Uh, Ephrosian from Star Trek Six. Ephrosian, yeah. Uh, he was the one who was approving or disproving the uh, operation clean their clocks or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, Retrieve or return? It was something, something like, like that. that. But he was like, I'm not going to make a decision that's going to plunge the Federation into into a war. And yep. so the presidents have always been intimately involved in these decisions, regardless of how the hierarchy at the time has defined the commander in chief. So, Big okay. J, I would say it works similarly to how it does in the U.S. system. And follow me here on this one, right? Okay. The United States president can give orders to the Secretary of Defense. The Secretary of Defense gives orders to the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs. The Chairman of the Joint Chiefs gives orders to a general, an admiral, whatever is necessary, right? Mm -hmm. And these things filter down. They are made by a political position, the president, and they filter down. Cool. At every level, every level, if your orders that you've received from above violate the Uniform Code of Military Justice, you are expected to say no, right? Correct. But if they are legal orders, you are supposed to follow them. Correct. But yes. a president doesn't go to an ensign and order them around. That's breaking the chain of command. It must go through the chain of command. So right. a president isn't going to order Captain Burnham to do something. They're going to order Admiral Vance to order Captain Burnham to do something, which is what and, we've seen. And I, th I think that that's... That's probably the, the part that I didn't quite get was, is this a case of overstepping your bounds to be the political leader of the Federation giving orders to Starfleet and Starfleet has their own hierarchy of command. And it, now that you explain it like that, yes, that, that makes sense because in, like what Dag said in Star Trek VI, President Red Foreman did not sign off on operation and put a boot up your ass. You, the president yeah. in that yeah. movie was played by oh my god I just blanked on the dude's Anorax. name from, was it Anorax well, or but, was it the Cardassian that served before Odo I'm confused <laughs> they're the same know, guy from that 70s show might as well be Jeffrey Combs this president is not above putting his foot up your ass yeah <laughs> um I really appreciated the dressing downs in this like Relak is pissed and Vance is pissed and I love it I had one thing I did want to expand on, though, just because we started talking about it, Big J, and I didn't want to cut you off when you were saying it. Mm -hmm. I think the structure of the Federation is a little bit different than kind of what we often assume. And okay. this is my headcanon e-comp, like, mixture of both beta canon and what we see in the shows. Mm -hmm. I think the Federation is actually a Federation. It's not a confederation. It's not like a single unitary state. Mm -hmm. That's all backed up. I think that some worlds, like Vulcan, certainly do have their own defense force. Some worlds like Andor certainly do. Others probably don't bother with it and rely solely on Starfleet. 
those less developed ones when they joined, right? Mm-hmm. But Starfleet's job is along the borders and along and to settle disputes between individual worlds when they happen, right? We see that right. in TOS when there are members of the Federation at the Babel Conference, Starfleet shows up and is one that's to like keep everybody sane, right, in one mm-hmm. place. Uh, but when it comes to foreign relations, the Vulcans aren't going to be sending their fleet to attack like an offending party. That's Starfleet's job. Foreign relations are in the guise of Starfleet and the Federation Diplomatic Corps. So something like this, where it's outside of Starfleet space or star- mm-hmm. outside of Federation space, find this criminal. That's got to be Starfleet. It's not going to be one of the worlds. And apologies for two Vixy noises. Oh, well, that's we love two Vix. I think squeak, I might have squeak, said it wrong squeak, er, earlier when I was starting the you know my beef. Did I say NATO? Yeah. I think I was thinking the UN. Even less like the UN. Okay. Again, the UN doesn't have a unified military force of any kind. Correct. Okay. So basically, this whole world does not have one unifying thing. If you wanted all. to look at it like something, it's probably closer to like the US government and the states. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah. Whereas some states have national, like uh, state guards, state militias, national guards, etc., that can mm-hmm. be nationalized under times of emergency, that kind of thing. Okay. Moving on. Right, yeah, it, you explained yes. it well. Cool. Going back to the episode after a little deviation there, um, they conclude that Vance's orders are a challenge for Burnham, uh, but it's an order that you must find a way. Cool. Works for works for the story, I think. Yep. Well, she was. I think she. He was pretty much giving her the okay of, don't ignore the main mission. But if you have a way to make this side quest work, go ahead and do it. Okay, I'll take that. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it was definitely like a permission structure kind of thing, right? Like she wanted to do this anyways, but she was going to be the good soldier and follow orders Mm -hmm. until her commanding officer, the Admiral Vance of Starfleet, is like, you know what? Follow those orders, but also do these two. Yes. Yeah. Hmm. All right. Our next scene is Burnham meeting with Saru and Stamets inside of like the spore drive lab, uh, letting them know about the president's orders, um, but not telling them the Vance side of things at all. Uh, but they start discussing like how they can find more information on uh, species 10C. And Stamets presents this data from the computer from Zora uh, that it points to an area of extragalactic stars outside of the Great Barrier uh, based on sphere data, like the red sphere and uh, they know nothing about it. There's like a void there that they can't scan or see through. So they're starting to discuss like, okay, how do we get more information there? Well, some nearby species might've explored there or looked around there. They mentioned this race called the Stilf, totally new to us, never heard of it. Uh, they're only 30 light years away from there. Okay, well, the Stilf has never encountered the Federation. So they're probably not gonna be super friendly for people just showing up demanding some maps but they have worked with the Orions and that's where Burnham makes this connection. I know somebody who works with the Orions who might be able to get us these maps. Just so happens it's the same person that can also get Isolinium. How do you, do do you really encounter the Orion Syndicate, work with them and not have ever heard of or encountered the Federation? Heard of, so Orions, so the Orion like, government is a mm-hmm. part of the federation but the syndicate probably has to function on the like edges of the federation right right 
so they probably range a good bit further than Starfleet does in certain directions to try and find some illegal or illicit goods, slaves and such. Right. In any case, the stealth have to have seen what the DNC did to the galaxy. A. What? DMA. DMA. What am I? What am I? Say DMC. He said it a couple times. Like run Run, DMC. Run DMC. Maybe it's uh, do not compete clause. We got to get you out of the eighties. Or no, 90s. <laughs> but I exist there. <laughs> right. <laughs> but yeah, so they discuss this, and Burnham mentions this contact that's on Parathia, and Stamets and Zora decide that they're going to go review the data for, for more, and Zora goes, actually, I'll handle it. This is too tedious for you. You go do other things. That was awfully nice of her. Yeah. I thought that we were going to get some kind of uh, avatar of Zora. The the last episode that we Mm -hmm. had before the hiatus made me feel like that that was kind of the direction they were starting to go in, like um, putting the, having the... uh, The holographic. You know, Zora, right. Either some kind of holographic or uh, synthetic form. I'm totally okay with Zora remaining non-humanoid, even if holographic. Mm-hmm. I'm down with either. I still like the the way that they're approaching this, though. Like, it's she's slowly becoming more and more manifest. Originally, it was just the computer voice, and there was, like, on the screens. Now there's the holographic representation, too. So, like, we're getting a bit more and more here as we go. I, would, I wouldn't mind if they went the Gideon from Legends of Tomorrow route. and Or Zora from the Short Trek. Oh, yes. Yeah. Remember she danced with guy whose name I can't remember? Yeah. Right. Yeah, you're right. Hmm. All right, moving on. Yeah. Moving on. We go to this <laughs> scene where Burnham is walking through the corridors with Saru, and uh, Saru goes, are, are you sure you want to do this? Like, this is... It, it makes a connection that there's something with Booker and Vance here, like, Saru just knows her, figures the whole thing, and uh, Burnham admits to Saru that uh, Vance unofficially ordered her to kill two birds with one stone, which makes sense. Saru still worries that she's too close to it, and uh, Burnham tells him that she's going to be taking Oloshakun too to check the surveys, and so he's kind of like, okay, I don't envy your position, but... He's not going to tell her to stay. He can't force her to stay. Though he probably should be able to because he is a more senior captain, but who knows? Well, and I'm I'm just glad that we finally got Michael on an away team mission taking one of our regular bridge crew along because we've all season we've been wanting, we haven't seen some more inclusion of the, the regulars on the show that were the bridge officers. And so I was pretty excited about that. However, for just one little moment, I, I had this little twinge of anxiety that we were going to lose Awusakun this episode just because she was getting more screen time now. And none of the other characters of actors that are the bridge regulars were there. So it's kind of like, well, we have to take the the budget that we split in six amongst them and put it all on this one person. Was, was it just me? That's just how Star Trek is. When you suddenly nope. get a character that gets more screen time, don't, don't, don't you think, oh shit, something's gonna happen? 
so Discovery's done that with Arium, remember? Yeah, so Discovery's I'm with done you that there. Yeah, Discovery's definitely done that, but I wasn't afraid in this case. It didn't okay, seem yeah. like it was... The stakes didn't seem high enough, honestly. Okay, um, yeah, good. But you're right, I agree with you. This season has done a lot to give us a bit more character to these secondary bridge officers. Mm -hmm. Like, we had the bit where Bryce uh, told us a little bit about his family's background when they were rescuing people from that prison, uh, which was nice. The last season had that great scene with Detmer versus the Viridian inside of Book's ship, which was really cool. So it was Detmer and the Endorian um, just bonding for a bit. That was great. So we're getting a bit more out of these characters. But I don't remember when was the last time we saw Jet Reno. Like, when did we last see Dr. Pollard? Oh, right? Geez, like, there are again. such great secondary yeah. characters that we just kind of like go, oh, Chief Engineer who? Chief yeah. Medical Officer who? I right, keep forgetting so. that they're that they're there because they are there so infrequently. Yeah. But I hope that I hope that this trend continues. Give me more Bryce, give me more Reese, give me more Detmer, give me more Oshakun, give me more Linus, right? Like give us some some info on these characters. They're interesting. Sure. All right. So next scene is Booker on Parathia with Tarka on the Karma barge. Uh, which do you think that might have been like a reference to Camertage just based on the name? Well, I don't know what that is. Okay, but... so it's it's from Doctor Strange. <laughs> it's okay. It, it is from Doctor Strange, like the movie or in the yeah. comics? Mm -hmm. The movie. Yeah, in the movies. The and place the where he goes off the train is called yeah, in the comics. It's called Camertage. Okay, uh, I've seen the movie. Barge. Yeah. Okay, I just I guess I didn't the name of the place he went to didn't stick with me, but yeah. I thought that was the Wi-Fi password. <laughs> it might be too. <laughs> uh, anyway, so they're on the barge. Mm -hmm. No, go ahead. No, they're, they're on the barge and uh, uh, Tarka explains that this place doesn't look to be the best place to go looking for something like that. And uh, Booker goes like, "We didn't part on the best of terms. Um, hopefully, Mizarro doesn't hold like a doesn't hold a grudge, which is funny because grudge is missing in this episode too." Mm. Uh, oh man, they just they put the whole budget into having more screen time with the Wusakun, didn't they? Makes you wonder how much are they splitting between everyone else that's not Michael Burnham or or Book. Jeez, I mean, grudge is probably just. Grudge is probably just hanging out inside of Michael's quarters, let's be real. And right. paying for like an animal actor and handlers for a single episode for like a minor well, thing like that is probably wasteful. Sure. Right. Grudge is in Burnham's quarters because that's where Book beamed her at the end of the last episode. Yes. Yes, you're right. Yep. Here's so the cat is there with a litter box. About, about Grudge. Well, it's because we're talking about cats. Meow. Dogs don't like cats. Mm. Well, generally. But yeah, so we get to this cool thing where Tark is going like, this is the place where like emerald chain dimwits go to die. Uh, yeah, he gets a stiff warning from Booker to like, shut up, be quiet, don't talk, be a shadow, right, essentially. Mm -hmm. uh, Tarka promises to just be the shadow. Uh, Booker approaches one of the guards. They talk to uh, Haz, Haz Mazzaro, which is a rough name for me to say, um, and they get led into the back. Uh, he tells Haz that he wants this isolinium and offers a certain amount of money while Tarka is off looking at some Devore scanners, which is a great reference to the Voyager Devore, uh, because they specifically hunt for Betazoid, or not Betazoids, for telepaths. And mm -hmm. uh, 
Tarkus specifically comments that this thing couldn't pick a Betazoid out of a crowd. So, <laughs> which the that has been a problem for them not being able to catch all these count card counters and uh, you know shifty people that are robbing. It's robbing him giving them five finger discounts it's it's a very cool subtle world building mechanism to be like hey here's a reference to a thing and also we're applying this tech to you know fraud in the casino instead of yes xenophobia <laughs> i feel like quark mm -hmm. had something like this too right like some sort of device to catch cheaters that he talks about in some he, episode he had something i i don't remember what I was, but you're right. Is the episode where Waxana's there and somebody steals one of her brooch, and Odo calls out the Dopteran, uh, reasoning that if she was a telepath, she'd be able to sense it. So there has mm -hmm. to be somebody there who she can't sense. The Dopteran shares an evolutionary history with the Ferengi somehow. Weird throwaway. Not going to get into it. Uh, and it, 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 it reason it, it made sense that if she couldn't read Quark, she couldn't read him either. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you gotta love some of Star Trek's throwaway lines. Yeah. I mean, that's a cool bit of world building in and of itself, right? That four lobed brains can't be read by by Betazoids, and they have four lobed brains. Cool. But why can okay? Never mind. Don't get me into it. <laughs> the beef for another time. Okay. Yep. Put that beef in the fridge. Put an expiration date on it. <laughs> So we move no, on, and uh, Tarka specifically goes, if you're going to sell us Isolinium, make sure it's not cut with Samomium, like the usual, because we need purity stuff. Uh, Mazzaro takes their Latinum and then goes, this settles the debt that you owed me already, uh, Book, and you're and this is going to be an expensive sale. And uh, Booker, Booker offers to catch their cheaters in exchange for the Isolinium, and Haas is like, okay. That's that's fair. If you can catch the actual cheaters here, that's worth it to me. Just, I mean, but just doing it that day, wouldn't he have wanted that kind of ability on staff long term? Was that really going to be how he, I guess, negotiated the price? Was I'll wash the dishes for you today, and and that's it. Maybe it's about making the reputation, right? Like if they can catch a changeling or somebody really, really good at like cheating, then that's gonna scare off low level cheaters in the future. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess it's fair, but we don't know what the economics are of Haas's club, so. Right, gotcha. Well, he already pointed out that one of his anti-theft devices wasn't working and that might piss him off even more. Like he might've known the divorce thing wasn't picking up by Betazoid cheaters and now he needs like eyes on the ground. And he can at least truck, trust Book to do that in a way that he can't source from among his own people. Okay, well said. Cool. So cut to our next scene, and we've got Burnham uh, with a Woshikun uh, explaining that the casino is like this technological dead zone. Their weapons, their, their scanners, none of that's going to work. Then uh, there are probably going to be other surprises there too. Uh, a Woshikun asks one very salient question. Why did you bring me? Because you can verify those charts on your own. And uh, Burnham tells her that Saru had like explained what had happened at the subspace rift thing and how she was willing to just go forth and Burnham assures her that she knows how she felt. So like they're trying to build a bit more of a rapport and make, make sure that they understand each other. It's, it's a good scene for them both. Like they're talking about how they approach true challenges. 
Well, and Wisconsin believed in her convictions then, which is something that Michael's going to need, especially in a situation like this where you can't blindly follow, well, you can't blindly go by the book. You have to think and adjust on your feet because basically you're in a like a Moss Eisley type situation where you're gonna you're gonna have to do things that might not be above board. And yeah, I mean, if you follow the book, hours may seem like minutes, and minutes may seem like days, right? Like these yeah. things get complicated sometimes. Mm -hmm. All right, so we get the approach to the Karma Barge, which was really cool. It's like this massive sea dragon-looking creature uh, that you have to like line yourself up with its mouth, and then you fly inside of it. The hologram drops, and you see the Karma Barge itself really cool little scene makes sense almost seemed like something out of star wars but i'm not hating it at all nope don't hate it is nice well it's not going to be advertised and no. out in the open for sure I mean, it's so a it lot like sense. stardust city oh yes a lot like yeah you're right yep so the two of them beam down or we actually don't know if they beam down but they show up at the club uh, in uniforms, no com badges, no weapons, but they're in Starfleet uniforms. So immediately they get outed as being Starfleet. Right. People start giving them a little bit of shit about it, which again, Starfleet does not have the greatest reputation anywhere in the galaxy at this point. So makes why sense would, that they'd get it here. Well, uh, okay, it just now hit me. Why would they walk in there in the Starfleet uniforms? Why wouldn't they have been in something that didn't make them stick out like that? I'm of two minds on this one, too. I would have thought that they would have gone in in, like, nondescript clothing, too. However, mm -hmm. the argument could be made that by going in a Starfleet, they won't get attacked because there's reprisals that'll happen if you mess with Starfleet. Okay. Giving them shit verbally is one thing. Okay. Actually accosting them might be a bit more dangerous for people. Okay. All right. So it wasn't the place to be an undercover cop. It's go in in your gear which will make people think twice about doing anything. Yeah, but okay, the right I person is going to look and go, oh, it's Michael Burnham. She's under my protection. Yeah, Yeah. right. Yeah, good point. Well, that's uh, exactly it, what happens, as uh, Dag alludes to. Um, they're greeted by Mazzaro almost immediately after they get there, and uh, we get a nickname for Michael Burnham, Right Hook. Which is great. <laughs> oh, did I mention that they had a nickname for Booker as well? Glowworm? Yes. Glowworm. Glow yeah. Glowworm and Right Hook. So these two have definitely worked with Haas for quite some time because they've all got nicknames for each other. I, now I'm thinking that uh, Michael and Book got a whole lot done in that year they were together. I mean, they were all over the place and doing that. That's a lot they packed in in a year. Yeah. I mean, Courier's got a curry. So they were currying True. favor with Haas. Yeah, you're right. Curry's got a curry. <laughs> Anyways, uh, yeah. This whole scene I thought was really interesting, just how they're settling into this like place, like looking around, seeing what's going on. Um, we get a good look at some of the aliens that are in this scene. We see an old-school-looking Ferengi, which was nice, and then we also see a modern-looking Ferengi. I miss the old-school one. I'm going to have to rewind Yeah, I that. don't know if they're in the Cygnus tabs, but I definitely stopped and stared at him for a minute and was like, oh, yeah, no, that's an old Quark-style Ferengi. Oh. So good eyes man i'm definitely uh, gonna yeah. have Very to cool. go watch that again i knew there were going to be easter eggs in this place i knew it yeah i missed it, that one 
it seems like a much more uh, well-defined club than the one that we had in Picard last season. Yeah. Like, you can actually see things in this one, whereas the last one was definitely too too much of a jumbled for really identifying anything. Mm. Yeah. And then uh, Mazzaro asks Burnham if uh, she is there as a Starfleet captain or as a friend, and uh, she is very much like both, both today. Uh, and then she pulls out some bars of latinum in exchange for the extragalactic surveys, which is her primary mission, so she makes a point of doing that first and uh she tells the details of stilf being the source of the data and that they were through the orion so haas you know some orions make it happen and he's like yeah sure it'll take some time but no problem there um he's a little curious about why she wants information on stars but he doesn't seem to need that need to know that before he gets her the data or begins working together the data and uh then burnham drops the big bomb and asks about the isolinium and shows him a whole bunch more latinum in like a little purse thing. It's a lot of latinum just end up happening to have. It's another one yeah. of those baby steps moments where the sale requires baby steps. Because yeah. you know he can get the information to you, that's great. But as soon as he has it in his hand and you're you're thirsting for it, why do you want it? How important is it? Who needs this? Yep. Who else is looking for it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, the Haas character was very well written. He yeah. seems very believable in his his way of behaving about all of this. Yeah, they got uh, a good especially performer. Yeah, but I mean, his line about how like the price goes up when there's multiple bidders is so legit too. Like it makes sense that that's what a businessman will do. If selling it to just one for something that doesn't get a lot of demand but is expensive, okay, that's a price. Now two people want it. Oh, something's up. Time to get rich, right? Today I'm making my budget for the entire year. Right. Is, is what he's thinking. Well, and so who was I, I meant to look up the actor that played that part because he looked and sounded so familiar. Um can't well, place and I could be wrong, but while Renzo continues, I'll find out. Yeah, if you would look look that up for me. Anyways, so at the end of the scene, uh Haas is like, yeah, you don't have enough money. Go play some card games. You'll need like three times what you've got. But you can buy it, but you need way more money than you've got. Uh, and then Awoshikun has this like look of, I've got an idea. <laughs> uh, which is fantastic because, you know, Awoshikun taking the initiative here is something that's welcome. We get to learn a little bit more about the character just being willing to do what she does. So. And I uh, really like her idea. I'm not going to get to it in a little bit. Yeah, but no, I'm, I'm with you there. One. I mean, this is also where Oshiku notes that Booker must be the other bidder, too. Uh, and Burnham confirms that, you know, she had a hunch about him going here, but couldn't be sure. So uh, Oshiku gets the offer of like, hey, if you want to return to the shuttle, you can go to the back to the shuttle. You won't get in trouble because I'm doing this off the books kind of mission. And Oshiku's mm -hmm. like, nope, here all the way. So I don't that's get off, good teamwork. I don't get off the ship that often. I'm not going anywhere because it doesn't seem like they get much away team time. So I know I wouldn't want to leave. So Big J, you might've known that actor from Aliens. He was one of the privates in one of the drop ships. He was Private Spunkmeyer. Spunkmeyer. The actor yeah, that from that does, moment? 
Yeah, yeah, that that does sound. I, I know the name. He I'm not talks. picking the he face. He talks a lot in those scenes. Um. Oh, 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 oh! He was the. Uh, wasn't he the other pilot? Yep. Okay. Yep. Wow. Was him? All right. Yep. I, He's I in a bunch of other him. things, but that's the one where I was like, "Wait, I know this, bro. Where Where do I know him from?" It was that. I mean, he was also in. Uh, triple x return of xander cage he was in robocop 2014 he's been in a few other things but uh the yeah. guy's name is daniel cash i got it yep 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 thank you hmm. yep all right anyways so uh next scene is tarka and booker looking around the room tarka giving this like i don't know if i trust uh mazaro's judgment when it te- when it comes to technology because his card counters are bad uh the pickpockets and there are other cheaters all around here right like he's just tinkering with this device which looks like one of the divorce scanners mm-hmm. not really sure we don't really get a confirmation of what it is but he's tinkering with something and uh booker is just trying to like find this cheater and he notices one alien which keeps blinking in very odd patterns oh but whenever he goes yeah, to try and signal. catch the alien yeah, he thinks it's a signal, but whenever he goes to catch the alien, the alien is instantly gone. And I and, yeah, don't have anything to... Well, yeah. w- once we get to where we catch the alien, that's where I want to talk Comments. a little more about. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, during this scene is when uh, Booker runs into uh, Burnham, mm-hmm. and Burnham goes, how did you let Tarka pull you into this? Like, y- if you take a step back now, we can all go back home together bring the isolate buy the isolinium and bring it with you as a goodwill offer to the federation right like we can save your reputation we can do all this and booker's like karka didn't pull me into anything this is what we need to do to stop the dma from killing more people billions might die right like this is what's necessary and uh burnham starts bringing up this whole like you're crossing a line here right uh booker tells her to leave she tells him she can't and uh, she's going to try and stop him. It's a very heartfelt scene on both of their parts. Good acting there, for sure. Absolutely. I, th- I thought it was. And I was I was waiting for, I don't want to call it confrontation, but I guess another kind of butting of the heads between, between the two of them, because they, they both think they're right in their own way. And that's the tricky part because not only do they have this relationship, but they both believe that they're right, but unfortunately they have to compete against each other. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the, that's the most ideal situation for telling a story, right? Both Mm -hmm. sides think that they're doing the right thing and the audience can understand the motivations of both, right? Like I get where Tarka and Booker are coming from, right? Like the DMA might take months before you can talk talk 10c into stopping if they ever stop at all so trying to destroy their hoover is probably not a bad idea but (laughs) if you can convince them to stop that is better than blowing up their their vacuum cleaner anyways uh, because we don't know what their power levels are right so there are valid rationales for both of these um and i can totally see a character like kirk having been on the other side of this i could totally have seen kirk stealing a spore drive to go stop this dma from blowing up other planets 
I could see it. I could see Worf doing it. I could see Riker doing it. I could damn well see Janeway doing it. I mean, well, about Kirk, he's not above stealing ships to go do something. There's, there's definitely the, the argument to be made that, you know, sure, somebody else may have started the fire, but we need a two-pronged approach. Let's put out the fire and find out who started it. And in this case, it could be like, let's blow up their vacuum and wait for them to show up looking for their vacuum. <laughs> Real pissed, I'm sure. Uh, where All right. We... Uh, cutting back. This is where Burnham goes back to Haas and and uh, with a Woshikun and he has the surveys, but it's going to take him some time to download it and put it into a file that she can receive. Cool. Burnham asks how much latinum he wants to take the isolating completely out of play. He's like, three times what you've got. And uh, Burnham agrees. I'll pay. That's fine. Just let me call Starfleet HQ, and they will, you know, transfer me the funds, and we'll be good. And uh, as our Haas goes, ah, ah, if I let you call Starfleet, this whole place will be surrounded by ships in a minute, and because they're looking for Booker, that's not happening. Right. So she's got to find a way to make that money here, <laughs> which is a bit of a challenge. This is where Oshikun's got like this crazy idea when she glances over at the fighting ring. Which is great. Oh, oh whoa. Whoa. that's yeah. Mean, oh wow. Oh, oh wow. <laughs> also, she's got those adorable dimples. Mm-hmm. I can see why Detmer likes her. The totally fighting ring is a good idea. I, I think I would have picked something like that too. You need money fast. You either you know, yeah, go into Fight Club. All right, so we cut back to Discovery for a nice heartwarming scene with Culber yelling at a robot. It's a dot. Uh, yeah, it was a the dot. The dot didn't do anything wrong. No, nothing at no. all. It was trying to clean. One thing that I do need to point out is the um, the sterility factor between the scene with... I've forgotten everybody's name now. <laughs> <laughs> with with Michael Culber and, and Stamets. The, the scene, okay, the ship... The ship is sterile. Like it is, yes. a, it is black and white. It is clean. It is organized. Everything is pristine. The glass is shiny. Um, you know, you don't have that haze in the air from the, you know, the smoky haze. And then mm-hmm. the other, the other room is, it's very yellow and red. And there's a smoky haze, and everybody kind of just has a little bit of that glistening sheen on them. You know, they're dirty. They're grungy. They're sweaty. They're smelly. And then we cut to sterility. Well, I mean, it's a sports bar, you know, you're going from there to a very, like one of those home furnishing places that's just sterile and neat, something like that. I don't know. Or the home of two neat freaks, right? Like, (laughs) (laughs) One of whom is a doctor who needs the sterility and the other is an engineer who needs everything to be organized. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's it's an OCD level of clean in that, in that room for sure. Oh yes. Okay, so in this scene, we've got Culber like cleaning furiously and making sure that every surface is scrubbed, shouting at his dot uh, robot, and then Stamets comes in and is like, honey, are you okay? This is not necessary kind of moments. Here, have a Snickers. Um, yeah, it just, it, <laughs> just as a refresh, because it's been five weeks, like Culber had a breakdown in the last episode. He realized that he had been overcompensating by trying to take care of everybody else except himself. And now he, who has 
mysteriously come back through the dead through mushroom craziness and has been displacing all his energy on making sure everybody around him is fine and he's just the cool-headed voice of reason and you know all of that was just a mask and the mask is off now and he's he's losing his shit again and it's okay yeah and his particular issue right now that leads to him losing the mask is that he didn't see booker's thing coming right he couldn't prevent booker he wasn't able to talk booker out of it he didn't he could have stopped it he thinks and he didn't so he blames himself for a lot of this um well he, I his whole like why. i couldn't go ahead i was just gonna say i i really don't think that anyone should keep beating themselves up over what book did like why why does everyone think that they had to have known something was going to happen and, and what that was i don't get where that's coming from even if you if you know the guy why why do you expect that you're supposed to be able to predict anything that a person does even if you do know who they are i think that's that's kind of uh, an undue amount of responsibility you're putting on yourself i agree i i think though that what they're trying to draw a comparison to or use this as a metaphor for is you know how like every time you hear on the news about someone going ape shit and blowing something up or shooting mm -hmm. up a school or something they ask the neighbors oh he was always such a nice kid i just didn't see this coming or they were always so quiet or they were always so i just couldn't see it coming right like every that time feeling every time right mm -hmm. it's the same thing here cobra's like he was such a nice guy he seemed like he was troubled but i couldn't see this coming it's that kind of like visceral like i'm surprised by these actions sort of thing and i guess it makes sense right because high treason is pretty heinous so sure yeah well depending yeah. on who you are sure <laughs> for another time for another time um but yeah another um, time another podcast yeah the beyond politics podcast um but yeah so we get this cool scene where stamets talks to culver about his own insecurities like the dma is an insecurity the how he messed up the zora situation is another thing that bothers him wondering how gray is settling in on trill etc and adira right like there are a lot of things weighing stamets down and stamets makes it clear that this is not a competition but we all have these things that weigh us down we need to remind ourselves what's worth living for and he brings up going to the holodeck and let's just go check out these flowers blooming on salata major and uh take a stroll through a field of flowers and uh culver softens and is like okay cool let's do that i'd like that it's a it's a good relationship scene well now me personally if i was <clears throat> agitated like that <clears throat> excuse me a walk in the flowers eh? no let's go on the holodeck and have a give me a steak give me food that pretty much is the unifying thing there the equalizer so your language of love is food got it my language of love is food yes yes if, if I'm real pissed off about something, put some food in front of me and I, I go down a few notches. I don't know why. It's just how it works. Yeah, everybody's got their thing. Put some food in front of me and I go down a few nachos. <laughs> Boo. Boo. <laughs> it was a dag joke. <laughs> a dag joke? Got it. Okay. All right. So back to the Karma Barge. Awoshikun is preparing to do her fight with a guy named Ato Kerr in the fighting ring. Uh, initially, she manages to dodge a few of his hits, hits him a couple times, but very quickly afterwards gets knocked the fuck out. 
right? Like she is on down. the mat rather quickly. She got dot knocked down, not out. Okay, fine. He oh, picks her up and you. throws her on the ground. And she's awake the whole time. Yes, <laughs> that's true. You yeah, forgot no. to say how she was when, announced. When, <laughs> when he bodily lifted her up just with two hands, I was like, okay, wow. That's pretty yeah. intense. Yep. Anyway, okay, so since you asked, the way that Joan Oh Wow Awoshikun was announced was pretty excellent. I did like how Michael did that. Michael was definitely trying to talk her up. The odds are for the first round was only two to one odds. So, you know, they lost some money by making that bet. Uh, but Oh Wow lost. Mm -hmm. uh, then we cut to Booker trying to track that alien with the blinking thing. Finds another one that's doing it, a different race. And now he makes the connection that, oh, it's a changeling. It's not a ring of cheaters. It's just one guy who looks like whatever he or they want to. Well, and he made that connection pretty quick, I think. Let that let that whole thing breathe a little bit. It was just, okay, one person went behind that pillar. Someone else came back the other way. Well, maybe, maybe that was all was needed to spend on that. But when he said changeling, I don't know about you guys, but I got real excited there. I was thinking, oh, what's it going to be? What's it going to look like? I really liked their their interpretation of how the changeling worked in this one, right? Like, instead of being just gelatinous blob, it looked a little bit more sandy, right? Which is a change, but it's fine. It looked really good, though, especially when they were taking on a new shape, like the way the, for the features formed. Mm -hmm. I liked it a lot. Uh, so now, correct me if I'm wrong, but this is... This is a changeling, changeling, founder. Yeah, this is a, well. Yeah, is every is a founder, founder changeling, or is every changeling a founder? I don't know. This is Something a founder. Like they are synonymous. Yeah, yeah. this yeah. is a founder, and I, with lack of better knowledge, and just given the uniqueness of this this founder's <laughs> shape shifting abilities, I'm going with it's one of the 100. Really? That's where I'm so. going. Hmm. You send a hundred a hundred infants out into space, and. How can you be sure after so many years that you've gotten them all back? Well, but have we ever gotten a good bead on the um, the longevity of a changeling? Hundreds like of years. Their lifespan? They're hundreds, basically immortal. Hundreds of years. They're, okay, okay. Is it even hundreds? I thought they were functionally immortal. They could be functionally immortal, but the, the only real suspicion there is that the, the female changeling is like, we didn't expect you to come back for like 300 more years. You know? And okay. we also right. know that Odo was like 200 years older than himself in um, the, uh, the the time travely defiant goes in the past kind of bit. If you remember that, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. When 900 so, year olds you be looks good, you would not. That'd be a shapeshifter, Yoda. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's a fair supposition. I can see him being, or that that changing being one of the hundred. I mean, but I don't. It's yeah, it's not falsifiable though. You can't just point to it and be like, yeah. no, that's definitely one of the one hundred. It's it. May, I'm just speculating. Like, yeah, would, mm -hmm. I? I just figured the founders would be a little bit more organized, and you, you, a founder would be a bit beyond petty. That fever. Maybe that's presuming the Dominion still exists, right? Like, if the Dominion well, fell apart even, and they all just kind of like spread around. I'm not even thinking about the Dominion. I'm just thinking about the Great Link. Like, I, I would like to believe that Odo held the link together. Regardless of what was happening around the Dominion after the Dominion War, 
I would like to think that Odo held the Great Link together, and because of the lure of the Great Link and the fact that at the time they were just like, you know, let's just be gel for the rest of our existence. It's cool. Um, I'd like to think that, that this is my my reaching for justification that this is one of the 100. No, that's fair. Good. Uh, anyways, uh, Burnham works with Booker to catch the changeling, and they run into Tarka, who has a little field thing that he's made out of, like, his scanner tool or whatever it was that he was using that captures it. So that's how that story essentially ends. It's pretty straightforward. Uh, cutting back to Awoshikun, Awoshikun is now going for a second round. Uh, Kerr is larger than she is, oh, and Burnham is, like, pointing it out, like, you can't win this. Then they get the announcement that its odds are, I think it was 15 to 1 for the second round, and then 45 to 1 for the third. Right. So in the 15 to 1 round, Awoshikun again loses. This time it seemed like she lost faster than the first round. It did. It, the second round didn't really last that long at all. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then the third round, we finally see that, oh, Awoshikun was just sandbagging this whole time. She was just losing to drive up the odds. Now it's a 45 to 1 odds, and Owo dismantles him rather efficiently. And uh, Was that really the, the plan? Fight. Oh, absolutely. I have a tiny bit of Jay's beef. If, if, right. I bet, really... if I bet all my money on round one and I lose, how do I still have money to bet for round two? They didn't bet all their money the first round. All right. I mean, well... easy enough. But okay, so here, here's I, the thing. Michael though. was that, in on this. That this helps wasn't me understand just like... that it was just staged. That helps me clarify. It was just staged. That's why they still had money. But that should be a tactic, and they should have known better. Like, oh, the newbie's showing up, blah, blah, blah. No, we're not taking your money. Get out. Okay, so let me <laughs> let me ask you this. All right, so you're going to enter into this fight. This fight is pretty much going to be how you make the money. And... You see your opponent, which right off the bat is taller, bigger, whatever, and you don't know what a species is. Uh, you don't know if you're about to get Vulcan strength pummeled uh, or anything like that. I think that's that's a lot to bet on for it to be staged like that because. How did how does she know she was going to get through the first round without making it look like they were trying to rope it up the crowd? Which is why, for the first one, the odds are only two to one. So what they lost wasn't that huge. But that way she... she could learn. She didn't know she could beat him, honestly. But the first uh-huh. round was just to see how hard he hits. That's why she got a couple hits in the first round, see okay. how he reacts to it. She took a couple hits, and then she got picked up and lost, right? Mm-hmm. Find out how tough it is, and then then you were in Michael work the crowd, make it 15 to one, 45 to one. But the first run is where you test it, but you can rope a dope somebody or sandbag someone, right? Yeah. That's it's, this is such a trope. Like this is used in a million movies at this point or shows, right? During fight scenes like this, it makes sense. And I have zero doubt that Michael was completely in on the plot. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I just, I, you're right. I think there's just a, a lot of risk such there because the, the whole thing would have, fell apart if if Wusikun was like knocked out with that first hit. Yeah, but then they would you they know? only would have lost a little bit of their money and they wouldn't have done it again. Yep. Right. They didn't have to go around somewhere else play the slots or cards to make yeah. money. Okay. Yeah. All right. 
there was a backup plan. Wouldn't have been pretty, but there was a backup plan. Yeah, I mean, just think of it this way, right? Like, if if they had found that Adokur was so much stronger, he was like beyond Vulcan levels of strength, then they lost one attempt, right? That's one method. So they just have to pick up and find a different one. Or we let Michael go in there and fight because she trained with Vulcans for 30 years and knows how to fight with Susmana. So I'm sure that she knows how to fight a Vulcan. Go into the ring with Ivan Drago just to see how hard he hits and how many right. rounds you want to go. <laughs> well, that's Rocky Four. You guys might be a little young for that one. I've seen Rocky. Don't worry. You hold okay. those. On reruns? <laughs> Ivan Drago. you. you. <laughs> So right. uh, they go to collect, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so a little bit more happens before then. We So I kind of put the story a little bit out of order there, but I did want to point out that I thought that the scene where the changeling turns into a triple and rolls fast <laughs> on the floor was amazing. <laughs> Big fan. Mm -hmm. Why uh, didn't it yes. turn into something that could fly and just haul ass out of there? Maybe uh -huh. there's mosquito uh -huh. netting. Maybe there's uh -huh. mosquito netting. Mosquito netting. All right, but yeah, so at the end, uh, Haas comes out. You've got Owo and Burnham with, like, we've got your money, and then mm -hmm. Booker and Tarka with, we've got your cheater, and Mazzaro goes, it looks like we've got a draw, and so... Oh, that's right. It was a, uh, it was a contest to see who, who came back with their their item yeah. or job in an episode first. seeing the two interleave like that is easy but in a discussion about the episode it makes sense to do one story then the other story and then they meet back up so oh well no 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 you right right no i i get that that's I'm why just i broke that he, yeah it was it, nice. no, i was just saying how he sent them off on two different tasks and they that it was like okay whoever comes back first wins it and they were able to accomplish it at the same time mm -hmm. I thought it was really nice to see the changeling makeup pretty much preserved from yes. the original appearance. I also liked that there was a Lurian in the bar. That just was, it tickled me. Another If more. anything, yeah. the changeling looked slightly Cardassian to me, like a Cardassian female to me. Hmm. I kind of got that vibe. Yeah. They, they had pronounced like side scullyness, but there was no nothing on the, the forehead there. Well, and that that could be that maybe the hair though, that all that back like that. I don't know. Oh, yeah. is that where you uh, were going with that? The hair, okay. Mm -hmm. But either way, like it's definitely clearly mm -hmm. the same Odo species changeling. It's not a cameloid. It's not a melasomorph. We know it's not that. It's right. the same. So, all right, cool. So the one last thing that happens is you were right. I should have pointed this out when they were turning in, they're getting their winnings. Uh, mm -hmm. Atto Kerr and his other fight buddy like try to start stuff and then that doesn't end well for them again uh, it's where we get the confirmation that right hook means right hook from <laughs> Burnham which was great uh, so yeah and oh um, Booker ends up helping them in that fight a little bit too so they yeah. thought Whereas, they were hustled yeah well that's the thing remember Burnham helped them catch the changeling and now Booker helps them fight off the two dudes who try and start a fight even though they didn't really need the help, but. Right. All right, so cutting back to Burnham and Booker, uh, Mazzaro cuts them off. Uh, 
They've got two more buyers that want to take the Isolinium off their hands. So they're going to settle this in a new fashion, a courier traditional fashion, a game of Leonian poker. Booker protests saying that they had a deal. And then he's like, my raft, my rules, which ends the debate. Um, he stresses that everybody's going to leave their latinum. That is your buy-in. The winner gets the Isolinium. The rest go home with nothing. Anyone who acts like an Armus will be dropped into the Parathian Ocean with weighted shoes. <laughs> so I love the reference to the Armus here because that means that somebody else besides Mariner has been fucking with the guy. For a thousand years. For a right. thousand years. With the reputation to know colloquially, just don't act like that. Um, His colloquialisms in general were fantastic the whole episode. So we didn't get half of them, but they were great. So yeah. here's a here's a question to to you two and to the audience who might be watching on YouTube. If you're watching on YouTube, if you're listening on on Anchor, we do have a video segment. We go through some screenshots brought to us by Cygnus X One. Thanks, John. Um, the center of the table here has a shape that glows. It looks like the Superman logo, but where else in Star Trek have you seen that shape? Um, have to pull that up. It's the gangsters Which... of Triskelion, just to save time. Oh, I mean, yeah, there's a. I didn't there, see that. It's just it's one of those things that's like, the the the, the production design is they 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 just know right. what's going on. They know what's going on. So these little homages are deliberate. They don't just come across this shape and be like, oh yeah, that'll look good at the center of the table. They're like, no 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 no, we're homaging here the gamesters. In a scene with gaming, yes, yes, it's 100% deliberate. I was just excited to see a good old-fashioned Casino Royale. Mm. That, because we haven't seen that in, in Trek before. Not like not like that. Like I mean, we've casino seen, the, Royale, we've seen the actual Casino Royale in the Royale. Like, they were right. there in that episode. What, like, before I saw the episode and you were like, hey, we need to talk about the Casino Royale portion, I was like, wait, did we go back to the casino? What the hell? I had to turn it on right away. I was like, no, 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 no. We didn't take a one-off goofy episode and make it a plot point to solve the, the DMA. <laughs> we didn't. Right, no. I'm thankful. <laughs> when, I, when I said that, I was thinking Casino Royale, the James Bond right, movie. Right, right. Yeah. No, no, no. I, I legit was like, did we go back to the Royale? Oh, my God. That'd be terrible and great. Everybody would hate it. <laughs> I'm dead. Go ahead. Anyways. <laughs> so I'm with you. I like the references. I think that the production designers definitely strive to find little things like that. Like, I didn't see the Gamesters Triskelion symbol, but you're right. It is that, that weird Delta-looking shape. Uh, yeah, that was really cool. So uh, Mazzaro agrees to verifying the purity first and then invites them into the room where they meet the two other contenders? Contenders. Mm -hmm. uh, Smugglers, both, contenders. Yeah. yeah, they're both dudes, or they're both people from the Emerald Chain. They're holdouts uh, hoping to replace the late Osira, uh, which definitely they can't get the Isolinium. So Booker and Burnham very quickly agree that it doesn't matter which of well it matters which of us gets it but we both need to make sure that they too don't get it yeah. so let's work together to cheat them out of it yes and we yeah. see this extended, it's a good plan yeah well we see this scene where everybody goes and scans the isolinium and uh the first person that goes in spends a couple minutes there then burnham goes in there and uh hazar mazaro offers her a tool to scan it 
And she's like, nope, don't eat it. I know what I'm looking at. And like eyeballs it and is sure that the isolinium is pure, which is interesting. But How yeah. How do you eyeball something like that? And She's a scientist, remember? She's spent a lot of time on this stuff. She also so, did something to it that if they scanned it would probably come up. Well, they probably did scan the thing, but remember, but, this place is like a dead zone for technology. <sighs> right. Right. Well, and it's, it's not that the technology, it doesn't work there, but it doesn't mean that once you get outside of it, that it right. wouldn't start working, which comes up later. Right. I, Anyways. I, yeah, you know what? I, I think the whole part about seeming to know it, be able to recognize it or, or tell, like, is this a real diamond or cubic zirconium or whatever you say that, um, was just to keep him from, but why would she need to keep from scanning it or to let her scan it first? Was that just to keep a scanner away so she could do? Her no, thing? I think she just realized she didn't care, right? Like, okay. if the whole point is that she can't beat Book at Leonian poker, mm -hmm. she doesn't expect to win it. She just needs to make sure that wherever this thing goes, whether it's pure or not, she can track it. And that's what she did. She put onto okay. it a little self cloaking tracking beacon. Gotcha. I thought okay. it integrated itself into the uh, the base. Maybe like I don't know. I thought it maybe cloaked. Yeah. In any case, she did a thing to it, and she doesn't need to show off because either the, the the conditions are she either wins and she doesn't need it, or she loses and she needs it. That, that's all yep. that matters. So yeah. We go back out to the actual poker game, and we get this extended scene of like tells like scratching their ear rubbing their eyebrow grabbing their elbow crossing their arms and looking at each other and it's very very blatant that the two of them are obviously working together if Haas doesn't notice this I'm shocked if the How two the hell Emerald doesn't chain goons don't notice it I'm still shocked but it's not against the rules oh, hmm? what the hell you say you, you, yeah so even if you even if it looks obvious it's not there. Haas said all the rules in the game. He never said you couldn't cooperate with another player. <sighs> the mean, only okay, thing that I but... wish had happened more was that the, we, we personified the other two people better instead of just being like dialogueless goons, yeah. so to speak. It would have been nice to see them getting a little bit on the action and getting taken on it. Like, oh, you guys have your own calls too. That's that's great. No, you're not. You're not going to beat us. <laughs> right. Yeah, we've got our own system. Well, they system. weren't working together though, because they were competing factions to each other too. Right. Yeah. Th those two were competing against each other. They they didn't come in as a couple. Oh, that makes sense. But we do know that they did realize that this was going on because at the end, uh, the lady Emerald Chainer gets like pissy about it and gets beamed out. Like, <laughs> so yeah. She did. She got yeeted right the hell out of there. Mm -hmm. Remember that time we went up against Starfleet with the Isolinium on the line? <laughs> it's a really great montage that just shows what it what it does, and it kind of is really bold about it. It it, it just showcases that in the middle of a pinch, Booker and and Michael they're they're on one side of a coin going for two different goals, but they still respect and care about each other deeply. And I think it's important to note that in relationships, you don't have to agree with your partner the whole time. They can absolutely hold a diametric view to yours. 
um, that has its own conditions and fallout, but you can still treat each other as human and not have to yell at each other, scream at each other, fight each other, try to sabotage mm-hmm. each other, bad name each other. Um, you know, it, it's just, it's it's very much like uh, Professor, Ex- Professor Xavier and Magneto, just to give you a sense of rivalry that doesn't need to come to blows. Right. Perfect example, because they, they each believe they're right in their own way. Yeah. Um, so they're I guess frenemies but with this card game it bringing those other two players in really changed the scope of how Michael was going to handle it I think going in she knew she wasn't going to be booked at this game she says as much right right said that and uh, would have made it would have made it look good would have tried to make it as difficult as possible but once these other these other two jack knobs come in now it's turned into a well, I have to make sure he wins because if this gets out of our hands, then it's just, it's, it's his loss worse. is gone. It, yeah, yeah, a lot worse. Yeah, no, I mean, there's definitely some some weird interactions between the two of them during that scene. Like this whole Schaefer colony gambit that they're pulling, like it's it's risky, right? Depending on who is your dealer in the game, you might be yeeted out of the room for trying to do that stuff, right? But Haas mm-hmm. clearly is more sympathetic to them uh, in considering his whole I hope whatever's going on between the two works out. I hope your relationship still works or whatever. Yeah. Like, it's clear mm-hmm. that he cares about them to some degree. Um, but he still has but, a business yeah. to run. For sure. Oh, we also get this really cool scene with uh, Awoshikun harassing Tarka and Tarka trying to fend off her insults and not very not doing a very good job. I think that Awoshikun managed to dismantle him pretty well about, like, the ego being his motivator, because it most certainly is. She did. Yeah. Well, and she's had enough to deal with on Discovery to recognize dri- ego-driven folks out there. Yeah, I mean, and his response to her was so weak. It was just like, you are boring me. Okay, <laughs> cool. Time to keep going. Just a bunch of viewers there just flashed back to a time they were in a bar when somebody tried to strike up a conversation with them and they just called them out on it and the person instead of just owning it and slinking back was like, You bore me and went off to try to find something else to do. Yeah, <sighs> gotta get the last word. But yeah, she tells him or rather he tells her to go stand somewhere else. And uh yeah, so it, it goes pretty well. Um she even gives this moment of like reconsider how much choice one has with regards to what comes out of your choices right and uh hopefully that makes even ruan tarka like reconsider a little bit about what he's doing because it's a good point like the consequences of your actions should be foremost in your mind right yeah yeah something that's not often considered but mm-hmm and then at the at the end of that conversation another person gets yeeted out of the table uh so now it's just between booker and burnham and they deal a couple more hands and booker wins because he is the better leonian poker player than burnham now i, now, I just want to talk about details real quick yes because I, I i asked you if you recognized anything for the viewers watching on YouTube, I've got all three of the cards that were shown, the face cards up. I've got two behind me, one on the display. And if you recognize these aliens, 
congratulations. I thought it was a really cool tongue-in-cheek moment. If you don't recognize the aliens, give me a second to call them out for you. Below me, you're going to see an alien that matches Chekhov's date from the end of Star Trek Beyond. She had the, the little spiraling seashell do. Um, and then over this mm. shoulder, you'll see one of the delegates from Star Trek Four. They were never officially given a name in Alpha Canon, but they do have a name in Beta Canon. And then over here is a Cardassian. And the, the the pictures that are used for this are a little blurry, but, you know. They're upside it, down. Well, okay, yeah, but I recognize it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when I saw the episode, I didn't even stop the pause there. I was just like, okay, it's a king, a queen, a hearts, whatever, go on. Right. Poker's boring, move on. Well, but yeah. And the thing that stood out was that Alien and Beyond was so striking to me, having that spiraling headpiece that went back that I, I immediately picked it up when I saw this card. So I was on guard for the other face cards if they were going to show them to be mm -hmm. what other aliens are presented here. So um, if you know how to get me a deck of these cards, please let me know. Um, I have a, uh, a deck of cards obsession uh, between Cal and I. We have something like 60 decks of cards. Ooh, wow. Yeah. Is that counting magic decks or not? No. No, magic cards I have <coughs> 45,000. <laughs> uh, Jesus. I've only been collecting them for like 27 years. Oh, only. <laughs> My Magic the Gathering cards are older than some of our listeners. <laughs> I quit. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay, back to Renzo. Back to the episode. Uh, anyway, so the, the, the poker game ends. Booker apologizes to Burnham and leaves with the Isolinium. Yep. Uh, back on his ship, Booker stares at the, like, a projection of the DMA itself. Um, Tark is like, this is a sacrifice that we're going to have to make. It's a heavy toll, but, you know, we're doing it for the right reasons. We're trying to help. Um, in the end, he argues, Burnham and the others will understand. Uh, Booker goes, I mean, it's possible, but what if our sacrifice is all for nothing? Uh, and then he's like, but fuck it, let's just get this over with. Let's end the DMA once and for all, right? Like, he's very much, we can't stop and think about it. If I stop and think about it, I might change my mind. So let's just do it. Yep. Which I just think is the riskiest gambit. And when we get more to the, to the end of the review, I'll tell you why. Because we'll be talking about the end of the episode. Oh, yeah. And then we cut back to uh, Starfleet headquarters, where Rillick is annoyed, but at and realizing what Burnham just did. Uh, so you went and did my orders, but you also went and did your own thing, huh? Nice way to find the only loophole you could, um, and then you still messed it up, right? You still didn't catch Booker. You let him. You let him beat you at the poker game, take everything you had there, and he gets away with the Isolinium. Uh, and then Burnham goes, but actually, actually, <laughs> actually, actually. We, we put a tracker on the thing, on the Isolinium, so we know exactly where they are and where they're going. Well, but it's not like, it's, it's not like she knew that he was going to be there. And it's not like she purposely lost the game. She's getting blamed for things that were outside of her control. Yeah, no, okay. I mean, I, the president's not wrong here, right? Like, the president's definitely right that my intent was for you not to be involved in the Booker hunting situation. And she wasn't. 
she the, made she was trying to get the naps she, the, the naps that's the, maps. the excuse that yeah, she'll use it really is she she was front and center hunting for for book and, and tarka um she happened to have a hunch that somebody was going to be able to get her the star map she was looking for and at the same time the one holdout that book would try first to look for the isolinium okay okay like it's a little bit of a I loophole. get it I get it but it's certainly a loophole right like if your parents tell you don't play any video games right or don't play on your computer right right and then you decide to play video like play games on your phone you're not on your computer you're not playing video games because it's there's no video anything it's just your phone games it's, yeah. it's a mobile game it's not a video game nacho okay. does shit like that to me all the time I that, swear. well that's how well, relic feels and we did it to our parents as well i totally did i don't think but i yeah. did I'm trying to re- I, my my mom's and my mom would send me to my room and her intention was that i couldn't have fun but i would just drag out all my action figures and make a freaking ninja turtle sewer system right. with transformers and stuff so let's apply this to your age then big j so okay. you know when your parents told you not to hunt certain kinds of dinosaurs they oh, also didn't want you to hunt for certain kinds of proto reptiles too you're killing me <laughs> can you message me the next time i drink so i just don't because you got a burn that was like epically sized like i almost spit the whole thing out on this computer <laughs> all of jay's dilithium just exploded in that burn Oh, it was I, that, that, burn. Was, that was a rough burn. It was the burn. <laughs> you know I love you. Anyways. But yeah, so I get where Relic is coming from. It's definitely the very paternalistic, like, you knew what I meant, even if that's yeah. not exactly what I said. Right. But yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, but I had yeah. that conversation, so I know how she feels. Mm-hmm. Cool, cool. But yeah, so they planted the tracker. Um, Vance, yeah. though, points out that the ship itself isn't moving. Uh because that is that makes the assumption that Tark is actually building the weapon at that given moment, so they'll only have like one chance to catch him at that point. So they start planning this mission, and at that very moment, because Saru has perfect timing, uh, Stamets, uh, or sorry, Saru reports that Stamets has found something about uh, the 10C that can't wait. Yep. Well, I was getting really excited about that too. Yeah, this was a really cool scene. So they go down to Stamets, and he shows a projection of the coordinates. Um, and he makes this declaration that the capabilities of 10C are beyond their wildest assumptions. Uh, Rillick goes, how can you determine that? It's a blob. Uh, and then Saru explains that the astrophysical bodies that are inside would all have like black body radiation, which is a real thing. Uh, but all that is hidden. So it's essentially a giant cloaking device large enough to cover like three or four stellar orbits. It's 228 million kilometers wide, or sorry, in radius. So not wide, twice that wide. So it's bonkers massive for a cloaking device. The largest cloaking device we'd ever seen beforehand was the Cytherians, which managed to cloak a single planet. Here they're cloaking like a star and several orbits. So nuts for huge. This makes a Dyson sphere look like a marble. It does. Yep. And then we get this other report from Zora about the trace elements that are being left behind uh, by the DMA. Uh, the only thing that's missing, everything else is at the same basic astronomical levels, is boronite. And boronite is something that we've heard of a few times in Star Trek. Dag, you wanna run with us? Nope, you got it. Okay, so 
boronite is what the Borg used to try and make the Omega Molecule. It's what Starfleet tried to use to make the Omega Molecule. It's what that unnamed race used to make the stable Omega Molecule in Voyager as well. And all of these examples end in ruin. Uh, okay, right, so that's what boronite is. So the assumption is that these people probably have a stabilized Omega system and that they're mining the boronite from galaxies. Wait, well, not, wait a minute. Wasn't the boronite left behind? That was no, the, the boronite was the only thing that was missing. The only thing that was missing. Okay, so let me let me see if I've got it right because this part of it confused me a little bit. So I'm sure you guys can help clear it up. Okay, so let's say this this thing is in a spot wherever it's at. That spot is is thought that there's there's boronite now, is this, this boronite, if it's to be found, is it something that is on a, on a planet, a mineral? Is it like free-formed, some kind it's of... So, it's so low in amounts, it's probably like a few dozen molecules per planet kind of thing. It's really, really trace. It's incredibly minute amounts. So uh, it probably is stuck to something near a planet's like crust somewhere. It's it's so okay. minuscule amounts. So it's it's a thing we haven't gotten far enough to know. Well, Bormite was you gave the, uh, the example. It was used these three other times in Star Trek: once by the Borg, and um, once by that that unknown race. What was which one? Uh, what was the third one again? Starfleet. Oh yeah, Starfleet. There's okay. a fourth one, but we don't know anything about it. It's but yeah, there there are four references to it in Star Trek. Okay, so you need Bormite to create an omega molecule. But so far, we don't know where you obtain the boromite, if it's something that's free floating in the void of space, if it's something on a planet. We as viewers don't know, we, we but I'm don't sure, know. yeah, we don't know, but I'm sure that like Burnham cer certainly would, right? Okay, so, so what, whatever is left of this area where this thing is at, the one thing that's always missing how would they know that the Bormite was missing if they didn't They know scanned it was there? and looked at the trace elements that were there, and it's in a certain, infinitesimally small amount, but it's always there. Very small amounts everywhere, but now it's just not there, and there should be some. It's the only thing that was off of the averages or whatever. This thing is passing through the galaxy, and it's sucking up all the Bormite, and they analyzed the tailpipe and read it as carbon monoxide with no Bormite, which means okay. it's using all of the Bormite. Or at least okay. taking it. Yeah. It's gathering it, using it, functioning off of it. We don't really know yet, but that is one element that is missing in its exhaust. And, they pretty and it's much the said only that, thing that's missing. Right, right. Um, so what they what they theorize is that species 10C, like this is their mining equipment in a way. Yep. Boromite vacuum. Um, the boromite vacuum, <laughs> yeah. The only thing that I was like, uh, we've already done the mining ship destroys the planet with the weird matter stuff thing yeah. in Star Trek, but okay, we're gonna go here with this. Is it the is it the robots from the end of Picard? Mm, no. I hope not. Yeah, um, I mean, same, but is it? Well, to me, it seemed like they had a completely different well, I was about to say completely different motivation for life, but that was some 800 or so years 
before these events. These, well, are, the guys, they could these have are the guys changed. That, these are the guys that you call to exterminate life. They're right. not going to whole galaxy they're, level. They're not going to care if their their mining equipment uh, annihilates a few planets. Uh, right, right. So whatever they're doing, they're they're farming bormite. Is it with an M or an N? Bornite? N. N. Bornite. Bornite. Okay, so, so they're, they're farming they're... Bornite, which kind of tells you this is their mining equipment. What the hell else do they have? And now we know that the book and company are trying to destroy, like what, what you guys said, a vacuum. You don't know what's holding it. It's like it's like uh, suddenly a deer in the forest decided to go after the John Deere tractor did it successfully and now the entirety of john deere is coming out for <laughs> for the forest right. i mean let's let's think about this from the, from the perspective of the people who are the entities that are harvesting this right mm -hmm. the borg control a huge amount of space they are incredibly technologically advanced they travel quickly and the borg used all of the boronite ore that they ever collected to try and do one experiment to make an omega molecule it failed and they gave up making more because they couldn't find more boronite. So this shit is not particularly common, especially in uh, collectible amounts for even somebody as advanced as the Borg. Cannot be so synthesized. It can't be synthesized and it is incredibly valuable, right? These guys have made a device that is so massive and powerful that it can wipe out star systems and has gravity that affects light years away. And now it's gonna get blown up that's got to be a pain in the ass, right? Like, if it gets blown up by book and such, these guys just be like, okay, we were trying the light touch method of just getting the places that have notable amounts of boronite. We're just going to atomize the entire galaxy, the whole thing. <laughs> Fuck it. Get get Spaceball 1 ready to go to vacuum mode. Just suck up right. every star in the galaxy, clean the filter of all the organic matter, and uh, strain for boronite. <laughs> We're good. Yeah, no, it, this seems like the worst of ideas to mess with some with an entity this advanced. As far as what the entity is, I'm hoping it's something new. I'm hoping it's something we haven't seen before. Me too. I don't know. I, I'm hoping it's that, and I'm hoping it's a race that's actually still there. I don't want this to just be like, these are their leftover machines that they oh left God, like 10,000 yeah. years ago before they ascended to energy beings. I'm yeah, hoping it's not that. Let's not do the Iconian thing. That's played. No Iconians, no, no Takan, no... No, none of that, please. Right. No protomolecule species, none of that. Now, are you guys hoping for this? Uh, uh, are you hoping for the 10C species to be corporeal or non-corporeal? I would like corporeal. Mm. Let, let them have an interaction. Dag? I I don't have... As soon as I didn't even think about it till you asked the question, and I, I don't have any strong feelings either way. I just know that however the interaction is going to be, it will be present on screen. And here's the other thing I want to get your guys' opinion on. Okay, so, so far, not yet a real, we definitely know that we don't want it to be some leftover thing that was just left to run because whatever created it died out. So we, we don't want a Iconian thing or a Takan thing anymore. We're done with that. Don't really have a strong opinion on corporeal or non-corporeal. Here's the other part, which I'm, I'm going through all the, we've gone through all the Star Trek stuff. It's usually, it's e either an extinct species, it's some kind of cloud or gaseous thing, or 
one guy that accidentally wiped out a billion people, entire species. So here's the next thing. Is this going to be a device or thing that was created and they knew what they were doing that, well, we need this Boronite and some shit's gonna get destroyed, we don't care. Or is it going to be another one of those like malevolent, we didn't know kind of things. We, we were unaware that this was causing damage. Or is it gonna be one of those cases of, this was so important for a even grander reason that it had to be done regardless of what the collateral damage was. My brain is like, Star Trek has done all of those things. So to try and do a variant of any of those things, mm-hmm. you're just going to find yourself being a, a deviation of one or more of those things. So like in terms of what it's actually going to be, we're probably going to have seen some of it before somewhere else in Star Trek. If not Star Trek, then a handful of other sci-fi franchises. What do I want it to be? I I haven't even thought about that yet. I'm I'm too busy letting the show take me where it wants to go to really okay. think about Ten C too much. Mm-hmm. I don't want them to be a massive Doctor Octopus or or space. Uh, what do we call it? Synthulu. Uh, I don't want it to be. Right. I don't yeah. want it to be Synthulu. Okay. Um. So not no extra galactic robot federation, positronic robot federation that's just, you know, synthesizing Boronite. You don't um, want it to be a little bald kid serving Tranya. No, I don't need it to be a first federation member. Um I don't need it to be Terminator. You don't need it to be Cylon. I really don't need it to be a robot at all. Like have it be some form of life that you know, maybe, sure, yeah, we've seen it before. It doesn't need to be wholly original, but give the motivation something that we haven't really either seen before or if we've heard of it, we haven't really explored this way before. Mm-hmm. That's where I am. It's like, ambiguous. I'm totally down with it being something that we've seen before. Like, make it the Metron Consortium, right? Or even the First Federation, right? Uh, but give me an explanation as to why, uh, why it's hitting populated areas this time, right? Like... There needs to be some explanation there. Both of those races, or the Cytherians, right? Like we know that the Cytherians left the cloak large things. It maybe it's them. Maybe this is where they evacuated to after they left the center of the galaxy. I don't care. But make it make some sense, and then make it like justified for why they're doing this. And if it's just our star charts are out of date, you're going to need more than that because if they can cloak a system, they can get updated star charts, right? Like make exactly. something that's that makes you know? some sense for us. I, you don't I want just, it to be an oops. I just had an idea. Like, okay. if it's going to be something that we haven't seen before, make it be, my brain is like, make it be an escalation of something we've seen before. A people who are who are in need, who have resorted to other means to try and save themselves, much like the Kelvins from Andromeda. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the radiation levels in Andromeda were expected to reach unsustainable levels at some point in their in what they deemed to be their near future so they went on this tangent where they were going to bring a ship back from our galaxy to do something that really didn't make a lot of sense at the time but now what if they've determined that boronite will negate these rising radiation levels or another way make the andromeda galaxy sustainable again 
So how about instead of trying to leave the galaxy, we just go mine other galaxies for this uh, element in such quantities that we can stabilize an entire galaxy with its use. Can you with yeah, boronite? I thought that it's... We don't know. We don't know. It's made up. It's, yeah, I thought its only purpose was for the creation of Omega. And Omega particle. is a huge, powerful energy source that can probably do something else. I mean, however right. they're employing it, if it's going to be a callback, let it be a callback to a desperate people who are trying to save a galaxy. Right. Yeah, or, or here's another possible one, right? Because this is one of the things I'm thinking about. The only thing that we've seen Omega do in the past is fail to be stable, blow up, and create a subspace dead zone. Huh, Correct. subspace dead zones, just like the burn, right? Something mm -hmm. along those lines. Maybe this is a species that was like, hey, things were better under the burn. There was nobody warping around, wearing out subspace. Let's do it over. Let's harvest boronite to nuke subspace galaxy-wide and just let the let the subspace recover afterwards, right? Well, well um... Those, okay, talk about like a doomsday scenario, right? Right, yeah. Here's how you I... You got me thinking about those aliens from schisms living in a subspace domain who are tired of oh. warp travel messing oh. with their existence. I wonder if it's going to be, be that. Or I, I think what it, it should be... If it's something completely new, okay, great, whatever. If it's going to be something that we had, have seen in Trek before, then I, I would like it to be who you least expect it. Kind of like the um, you know, the Davidians, or where were they, Dag, again? The, the um, ones doing the experiments on everyone in their they were They were lab. called Solanogen-based life forms, but yes, that's all we yes. got out of them. Yeah, in Star Trek Online, they call them the Solani. Right, right. Yes, that's right. Yep, play those missions. I would like for it to be the thing you least expect, like like that, some kind of extra dimensional <clears throat> thing. Now, what I can tell you that I don't want, <clears throat> excuse me, I kind of don't want it to be like how the previous season of Discovery ended, where I I like the explanation they gave. I think the explanation to the burn was great. I don't know what I would have liked uh, for that the burn to have been that would have made me happy. I just know it wasn't really that. It, it, it just, I was not really overwhelmed or underwhelmed with it. I was just whelmed. Like, okay, this, this, this kid shouted and caused the unbelievable destruction of, of life uh, because dilithium like, exists in, in subspace. I, I don't want it to be another one of those where some some one person accidentally causes this this tragedy. That's why I don't yeah. want. I, I would prefer that you. I prefer that this time it would be some species, whether it's brand new or something we had seen before and forgot about, and that they were doing this on purpose and knew what they were doing. Uh, there's nothing accidental happening which then takes you to the next step of like what what dag said all right so now why are you mining the boronite you you it seems like you're not too concerned with what happens when you're looking for it but why is it that you need such a rare substance that's been known to be used to create one of the most unstable particles known in the galaxy because that's what i'm saying right like if if their goal is like something like 
let's say this is an analogy for like eco-terrorism, right? You mm -hmm. want to protect the oceans, right? One way to protect the oceans is to blow up every port so there are no more things going in the oceans. In this case, blow up subspace or blow up the popular subspace lanes, blow up the galaxy of subspace, whatever, to stop people from using it and wearing it down that way. I don't know. There's got to be something here. Hmm. Maybe it's something to do with the spore drive. Maybe the fact that these aliens saw that the spore drive was being used again, and now they're like, oh, no, this is bad. This could threaten all life in the universe or the multiverse again. Try and eat up boronite so they can stop it or thicken the spore walls. I don't know. Yeah. But give us some explanation that makes some sense. Dag looked like you. you had Dag made a poop sense. face, like he smelled something bad. He, he, he did. I saw a smell. I own cats. I'm in the room with a cat box. You put it together. <laughs> However, I was gonna say, you know, it would just it would it would just suit me if it was something that was just so like blase like we we use the uh we use the omega particles as uh salt on our nachos. Go away. <laughs> I swear that was an episode of Futurama. I swear that was an episode of Futurama. <laughs> No, they're, they're hunting this boronite like it's avocados. This is also Dag's second nachos <clears throat> reference in the one episode, so I think Dag is hungry. Yeah, he's he's hungry. I'll be well, sad by just, the time we listen to this. Uh, well, just sit and eat your food. Eating during a podcast is an unknown. In fact, it's just about known that it's we do that. This is an edible, Jay. I don't have a <laughs> bowl of omega molecules over here. I can't just like stir them up and whoa, what's this? Nope, that's a book. <laughs> Sorry, no food. I mean, some people apparently eat pages of classified documents, so who knows? Bringing it, bringing it, bringing it into the show. Into reality, I yeah. Appreciate. <laughs> right, just imagine, just imagine like uh, Admiral Vance as soon as he sends, uh, you know, uh, Burnham out is like, okay, computer, replicate me a piece of paper with my orders on it. Tears it up, eats it, relax. Like, what are you doing replicating paper? <laughs> Computer, <laughs> delete that entry. <laughs> so, yeah. So, this is where our episode ends. It's this whole, like, revelation that 10C is collecting Boronite. They seem to know what Boronite does. They realize just how powerful that makes them, and they realize just how incredibly dangerous it is to piss them off. And as such, Booker and Tarka must be stopped, whatever the cost. Uh, and yeah. then Burnham goes with this very solemn, I know uh, that the stakes are much higher now, so it's quite serious. And we will let everybody know what we find out next time. Episode 8. Uh, no, this is episode 8. Episode 9. I think there's 9, 10, 11, 12 epi 4 episodes left in the season. Right. So yep. uh, we definitely, I hope we get something like a, a four-part you know, moment because there's, there, there's enough episodes left in the season for us if we're going linearly to have an escalation moment episode mm -hmm. 10 and then 11 and 12 is de-escalating but it always feels too fast for me it's like the five minute ending of some star trek episodes where it's just like everything's terrible oh we found a solution credits <laughs> um like <laughs> I mean, I that's the problem I, with a 13 or 14 episode season right right well and they gotta pack you a lot do, in you could do a four episode arc very much like ds9 did the last like 10 episodes of its show just give us all of what's happening on the different fronts while we're trying to, you know, avert this whatever. And the last episode is we averted it, but now here's the fallout. 
you know i also i don't i also don't think i would mind a season of finale cliffhanger when was the last time we got one of those i don't the i wouldn't last, mind the last season of lower decks to be continued yeah yeah so it was the I, first time we'd seen a, a last a to be continued in star trek since uh like voyager no yeah, terra nova i don't think there were any in enterprise the terra nova yeah but terra nova used terra nova the, and um terra nova used the enterprise fine i'm talking about the tng fine classic oh god <laughs> you could tell because the accent changed i'm a little i'm a little i like my fonts Sorry we're talking earth that. prime and uh, terra nova from <laughs> yeah star trek enterprise yep. the real two-part series finale the real one well the, these are the voyages I, it was a coda it was a coda I don't am, get me started i'm not here to but that wasn't a, a season finale I, that was a show finale yeah the, it's true well, well yeah yeah but this is, um, we're not talking so about then there's no cliffhanger that's true it wasn't a cliffhanger if it's the just last, a one week wait till the next episode the it's last, not really a cliffhanger the last true cliffhanger we got was in star trek voyager was uh was what season six to seven dark no dark frontier was a mid-season it was three and four oh okay unimatrix uh unimatrix zero yeah season six finale season season seven premiere voyager well i and and dag you were you were saying a a a four episode arc like what ds9 did with the last seven episodes well but be all for it the the whole season's already in is already an arc I How mean, much more arc can you okay, so make here, something that's me, already me, That's serialized. a good question. Let me explain what I'm thinking. Okay. okay. Discovery has so far had this tendency to take, and, and Picard did it too. They, they kept escalating all of the stakes until the very last episode where they all come together to resolve the problem and it's over. But okay. what I would like to see is sort of maybe a stepping of these stakes instead of, oh, it got worse. Oh, it got worse. Oh, it got worse. In DS9, what they did was they're like, okay, it's getting worse on this front. The brain have the super weapon. But we have a Klingon ship that has figured out how to deal with the super weapon, so we're going to integrate that tech. But, oh, we lost we lost the Defiant in that fight. Now we need to get another Defiant. And meanwhile, uh, Dax and, and Worf are on this other ship, and they're putting together pieces of another thing. Now they know that the brain are in on this thing. Mm-hmm. And... So there's just there were there were a lot of threads that had gone out about this war thing and this eight episode thing tied up the threads along the way. It didn't wait to the last episode to tie up all the threads where you you found out the Breen were involved and then the uh, the Defiant got blown up and then it was terrible for a second and third act but then we got a Defiant back and the fourth act was let's kill him. Okay, which is what right. which is what's been happening on these recent episodes and the seasons for the latest track is the new storytelling format waits until the last episode to really mm-hmm. just bang here's everything and it's over and we're done and now we don't even have time to breathe and you're right what we left behind i think that's it exactly and what we left behind most of the plot was wrapped up by the time we got to the last two episodes it was the final battle where we had to wrap up the loose end of the Dominion War and Kira's little cell on Cardassia mm-hmm. and the um, the disease, the Founder's disease. Like, those were the three arcs that made it to the end. And then we get 25 minutes into that episode. Uh, don't forget uh, Dukat and Sisko, though. I'm not there yet. We got 25 okay. minutes into the last episode of 
or we get like the first hour of what we left behind, which is wrapping up the Dominion War. And then the second one is, okay, the Dominion War is sort of being wrapped up now and things are cool and oh crap. Freaking Ducat is on Bajor opening up the, the fire caves. He's going to unleash the power rates on the temple. Cisco can't allow this to happen. So Cisco goes off and resolves the final arc and becomes who he was meant to be. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of those plot threads had been stationed over seven years of plot development. Discovery doesn't quite have that, and each of its arcs is insulated. Each of its seasons is very insulated from the next. Um, so while we do get these grand. 12, 10, 8, 13 episode arcs, um, what we end up with is anxiety for the first X episodes. And then the very last episode wraps things up and the credits roll and the audience is like, well, that was over. We don't have time to, you know, breathe or resolve. And and you, that's, you, okay, I get what what I, that's what I would like to see this season. Here. This season, they've done a better job about wrapping up some storylines early. Like, I'm so glad that we're not still dealing with uh, Adira and Gray and the body and the body issue, right? Like that is now yep. out of the way. Yep, that uh, went as Tilly's, far as it went. Yeah, Tilly's personal conundrum about like, do I stay? Do I go? Do, do I grow? What do I try new things? That is now out of the way again. Yep. Right. Yep. We are focusing our cast of characters in our time much more narrowly on what's going on with the DMA. Yeah, and uh, now, Dag. Now I understand, Dag. The way you were saying it was don't have all of these things happen in the last episode spread it out over yeah the, the last two three or four give us some of that episodes. closure early yeah. like let us know who the, who these 10 these 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 dc these 10c people are let us know that and then okay now let's just escalate a little bit more what well, let's know their motives and then escalate a little bit more oh there's going to be a confrontation and then the fourth episode is here's the confrontation but we know who we're facing. We don't wait to the last episode to reveal who the 10C are and then have a whole episode that is, who are the 10C, what's their motivation, here's the conflict and the resolution all in one episode. Yeah, that's that's too much uh, ADHD right, right there. Right. Yeah, it, we need a... And, and the audience needs that cool down at the end of the episode. There are some Star Trek episodes that are very insulated. You don't really need the cool down, but like... Genesis for one episode that comes to mind off the top of my head. TNG, everybody devolves, yep. everybody comes back. Okay, but the last episode, there's some the last like five minutes of that episode, there's some levity. Oh wow, we activated your introns and they just went wild and we're gonna name it after you. And <laughs> isn't it funny? Man turns into a spider and now he's got a disease named after him. <laughs> and the audience, <laughs> the audience goes with we, we we watch that and we go, okay, everybody's okay with what's going on. Everybody's cool. Everybody's chill. We're gonna move into the next episode. Mm-hmm. As a perfect example of that, look at all good things which is one of the best show finales of all TV history in my book, right? The end of the episode is literally them sitting down to play poker. Yeah. It's not like hard cut as soon as they made it home. It's like Voyagers was. It's not weird ass outro of, oh, it's a holodeck. Let me turn it off. Right. No, it's it's literally bonding time at the end of an episode where there is no promise of another episode. Right. It's perfect for me. TNG sat there and said, the mission goes on. And of course, they had already had generations, you know, probably filming when that episode came out to us. Um, they, they, were, knew they were what they were doing with that. But Voyager's Endgame is a very perfect example. We spent seven years with the anxiety of what's happening. And then yes. they get home, they don't even make it to Earth, and the credits roll. Right. We literally just see them approaching orbit. Right. 
That's that it. Wasn't, Come on. Yeah, that wasn't and, really And what we too could fair. have got, well, I mean, we're going way off script here. What we could have got was what happened in Enterprise Season 4, where they came back home and we got to deal with the ramifications of the Zindi thing. Yeah. You know, and I would love to have seen... The xenophobia I would and... Have, I mean, sure, the whole point of them getting home was getting home. Well, there was no point in being on Earth. But if they had done that, they had done an arc where we get home and we get two episodes of cleanup, you know, and maybe that... we learn you were sent out there intentionally, you know, make it a little more sinister. That would have been really cool. Um, yeah, and, and we'd have nice. we'd have some better hooks to script our recurring characters: Janeway, Chakotay, Seven of Nine, now featured right. in Prodigy and Picard. Yep. Let's try and end it again because we were so close to an ending uh, we were. a few minutes ago. Dag was even giving the whole like, if you've got any feedback for us, start writing us back. And then we went off track again. So let's try to end this review one more time. The, the real, real ending, not the fake ending. It's not a superhero landing. Everybody, if you stuck with us so far, thank you so incredibly much for being a part of Beyond Track Podcast. Hey, everybody. I just wanted to give a quick shout out to our Patreon and Anchor supporters. Big thanks to Stephanie Baker, S. Tam, Anne-Marie, Jim Cook, and Nora Hickson. We really appreciate your support. Thanks for being a part of Beyond Trek Podcast. We are Beyond Trek Podcast. Lower your inhibitions and surrender your years. We will add inspirational and hilarious Trek content to your day. Your attention will adapt to subscribe to us. Resistance is futile.